Welcome to a January 3rd, 2022 edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. We're three days in. By the time you're listening, this probably four days in. But Jake, happy New Year to you. This is our first pod together of the year. Are you yeah. Are you ready to make... Is it New Year, New You season for you? Huh? What? <laughs> is it New Year, New You season? Sure. Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> are you are you getting up earlier than you've ever gotten up? Are you working out more than you've ever worked out? Are you are your habits just completely in full gear right now? I mean, last week I worked out or the last 2 weeks I worked out 5 days in a row for the first time in a couple months, so sure, brought in the new year going starting with that, so this will be week 3 of doing that again. So, there if you, you want to say that that's a new year, new me thing, sure, let's do that. But that's not any different than what I was doing for the majority of last year and the majority of the year before that. Yeah, well, there you go. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> um, you know, I got to say, for whatever reason, this year, more more than past years, I'm, I'm in the spirit. I'm in the spirit of, of turning the calendar. Let, let's put 2021 behind and let's look ahead to 2022. Um, unfortunately, though, for the Anaheim Ducks, the team that we do the show about, Real Rocky quick, start. Real quick before you, you, we get into any games, I was briefly doing the math right now as people saw me counting on my hands. Mm-hmm. This is the sixth uh, sixth year that we've been doing this podcast in. Sixth year? Because didn't we would have started in 2017. Yeah. The 17-18 season. So 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Wait, 17? Yeah. 17, 18, are we sure? 19, are we sure you can count? 20, I'm starting to 21, question this. 22, six. Um, I mean, sure, it's the it's the sixth calendar year, but yeah. it hasn't been six years. Agreed. So but it's kinda... the sixth calendar year that we've been in with the podcast. Okay, I'm all for I'm all for dressing up stats to make them look more impressive than they actually are. Exactly. So I'm all about this. Yeah, we're on year six. That's kind of insane. <laughs> We're on year six. I mean, we're we're not though. Like again, we're not. <laughs> but, well, we're on season five. Let's go with that. We're on season five. Um, will this season be finished out? Is a is a better question. But yeah, I mean, it, to think about when we started, uh, which would have been Randy Carlisle era. For whatever reason, that when I think this podcast started is the uh, Adam Henrique Sammy Votnin trade. That's like yeah, what, what I always think back to is like our first. We did a we did a breaking news episode of that. that uh, yeah, of the that, podcast. That, that was our first like big episode. Like, yeah. whoa, so, something big happened. Um, and which is funny to think about now because have there I mean, been any other things that are bigger than that? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. At, at least a couple. I'll name one: uh, Bob Murray being true un- unceremoniously dispatched. I, I, I more meant from like a trade or that type of perspective. Uh, from a trade perspective, I'm actually not sure if there like how many bigger trades there have been, if any. I mean, I guess the, the Kasha trade maybe. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you may be right then. Uh, sure from Milano. I mean, kind, <laughs> kind of explains why it's taken the Ducks this long <laughs> to be competitive. The, the lack of the lack of trades. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been kind of a crazy start to the year for the Ducks because before we went into the break, we, we talked about how they had been so fortunate to not have had, you know, really any uh, COVID issues. And here we are just, you know, three games back after the break. And you have now Ryan Getzloff, who's in protocol, Derek Grant and Nick Delorier 
joining him today. Trevor Zegras is still technically in protocol, although I think by the time that this goes out on, on Tuesday, he may already be out. He's reported to be asymptomatic, and Max Contois has already cleared protocol. He entered, mm-hmm. and Sam Steele also cleared it. So it's a lot of names. I think I got everybody. Um, but so right now, the big ones are, are Getzloff, Delorier, and Grant. I think Zegers will be back soon. So I guess just your thoughts on on, on that whole catastrophe. I mean, it sucks. I mean, first off, hopefully they're all asymptomatics, no long-term impacts, long-term effects. I mean, that that's, I think, first and foremost, what, where my thoughts go for, for all the players because we don't necessarily know what the long-term impacts are. Thankfully, it sounds like Steele, Comtois, and Zegris were all asymptomatic. Um, not sure about Getzloff, uh, Delorier, and Grant, so fingers crossed that they're not actually having some severe impacts. Fingers crossed that they're uh, potentially boosted and that will help them uh, be able to fight it off. But um, that that's, I guess, the first and foremost thought, not even hockey-wise with any of these guys. It's just they're people too. We're all going through this. Everyone's kind of doing their best to try to mitigate anything from this. And um, I, I think it sucks to see this many people get it. And it just kind of shows the ability for this virus to be able to spread throughout locker rooms and how contagious it is. And so I think from my perspective, uh, big picture wise, it really kind of hits home and allows you to realize, hey, maybe I need to set up, step up my own mitigation measures that I have as a result of this. Yeah, I mean, the the sports world has kind of been a reflection of society and we won't go too far into this, but we all kind of assumed that we were past it. And then as it turns out, we weren't at all. And it's really smacked everybody across the face. I mean, the amount of people I know, like colleagues or just friends in the last week who have had COVID that, that you know, like the number of people that I know that have had it has skyrocketed in the mm-hmm. last week. And, um, you know, there's this kind of prevailing thought going around that, oh, you know, everybody's going to get it. it. It's an inevitability. And I really want to push back on that because I don't think that you have to accept that. If you're if, if you're someone who has any kind of control over your environment, like you can wear a mask, you can avoid going to bars or crowded areas. You can maybe try to isolate as much as you can just for the time being while this kind of Omicron wave rages through. I mean, some of the case numbers right now are just completely startling. So it's not inevitable. You don't have to get it. Um, despite all the talk of it being mild or whatever, it still sucks. The people I've talked to have gotten it. It still sucks. It, it doesn't sound fun. Like back pain is a symptom. Um, I, that doesn't sound yeah. fun at all. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say that I'm kind of surprised that the sports leagues haven't really leaned into is that we do have some treatments for the uh, for COVID-19, like the biggest one being monoclonal antibodies. And it just seems like they're just not giving that to the players. I mean, there's there's providers, there's concierge services that offer that all over the country and for whatever reason it just doesn't seem to be in the mainstream but anyway all that being said of course the thoughts go out to the players and also thoughts go out to their families and like and the staff been members there, yeah, there's been john allers multiple... john allers yeah. i mean did you did you hear john allers on the... yeah his voice did not sound great he sounded in rough rough shape and actually it's funny because this new variant is supposed to affect the throat more than the lungs um so if you're a broadcaster uh, that's not great news, and he definitely sounded worse for wear. But still, good to know that he's healthy, feeling healthy enough to to get back on the call. That it did give us though uh, two games of Andy Zilch yeah. on the call, which was interesting. What did you make of his um, performance on the call? 
I thought it was just a nice change of pace. Uh, yeah. Let's go with that. Wow. That's all you got for me? Uh, that's really all I have. The, I mean, because the games were somewhat frustrating. So I think a nice change of pace is a good way to put it. I, I think just having a different voice at times can kind of be nice. I mean, I think what was the most endearing was uh, the amount of times that he referred to the Ducks as the Golds. That was really, <laughs> that was just funny because it wasn't even that far off from the truth in some of these games with the amount of players that the Ducks were missing. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just, it was just cool to see him. He's been on the call for the goals for, I don't know how many years now, just to like see two him. two or three, I think at this point, something yeah, like that. Just to see him get that opportunity is, is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more than just to change his pace. Uh, it's potentially life-changing for him. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, 100%. And yeah. I mean, this gets his name out there, gets him kind of more so in the Bally system to to maybe get a call up. I mean, it is legitimately like a player getting called up for, for a tryout in the NHL. Yeah. Um, and so now I think the biggest thing that to put a bow on this part of the conversation is just where is it going to end for the Ducks is really the biggest question. Because if you look at the, the Montreal Canadiens, for example, they are mm-hmm. shut down for the next week. Um, and part of it is because they can't play games right now in their in their home arena. But also they're just running out of bodies like this whole taxi squad system has been tested to its absolute limit. You have guys that are being called up to the taxi squad and testing positive the next day. Um, and so hopefully the ducks don't get that kind of outbreak. That is the, the hope big time, but, it, but at the same, but by the same token, that's a possibility as well. So I don't know where well, this is going to go. Where this, There's a lot of runway here. There's a lot and, of guys who haven't gotten on the team. Yeah. And I think kind of my, my question is, and this was one thought that came into my head uh, yesterday, uh, basically right as it was, it was announced, what, maybe right before game time, the Getzloff entered COVID protocol. It was pretty yeah. soon after. Yeah. And, and so he must have tested positive probably on, on Sunday. And so if he tested positive on Sunday, then that means that he was potentially around all these guys in the hotel, traveling to the rink on the plane with them. Yep. And it's just how far does it spread? And if it's the same thing now with Deloria and Grant, they were all on the plane and did it spread to them. Were they on the ice with the avalanche? And it's just, I, I think I'm cautious to see how far it's going to spread. And hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed it ends with them too. And it doesn't spread any, any further through the Ducks locker room. Yeah, that is the hope. Okay. Mm-hmm. On that note, I think we're done with that part yep. of the conversation. Look, folks, it's something we have to talk about. It's kind of like the thing right now. Yep. <laughs> in in all of major in the world. In, in in throughout the entire world. Yeah. So anyway, but the Ducks did play three games though. And mm-hmm. I think that they all all three of them have a little bit a little bit of insight that they shed on this team or individual players. Now, I will say this though. The game last Wednesday against the Vancouver Canucks, oh. which the Ducks lost two to one in overtime, possibly the least entertaining game I've seen from this team. in I don't know how many years. Yeah, it was a rough one. I mean, all three of these games, they've really struggled to generate any offense. I mean, just from the expected goals for percentage, all of them were underneath two goal expected goals for, and they've been allowing, I mean, that Vancouver game, they allowed 3.73 expected goals against. And so they were just getting turnstiled by the Vancouver Canucks who, I mean, granted are playing better hockey, but they're still, it's the same roster that they had before. And they weren't a great team prior to hiring Bruce Brujo. And so while the, I wouldn't have expected the Ducks to necessarily dominate them. I would have expected the Ducks to be in this game a, a little bit tighter. And the Ducks were very fortunate to make it to overtime in this game thing. And it was basically on the back of John Gibson. 
Yeah, I mean, as it turns out, the Ducks really, really need Trevor Zegras because this was the first game without Zegras, Steele, and uh, Max Contois. And so the lines that they were trotting out in this game really left them in a in a tough spot. Well, this was the game that they actually went 70, and this was when we got Jacob Larson back up with the team, yep. and they went 70, uh, uh, 11 forwards. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so you're, you're looking at this kind of ragtag group of forwards, guys being shuffled around. At one point, Lundestrom was with Raquel Milano, also played with Grant Silver. Like, it was just all over the place. Um, and I think, you know, people have asked a lot to our podcast and on Twitter and all over the place, you know, what's the biggest difference with these Anaheim Ducks this season? And I think the last three games have made a pretty strong case for the answer to that question being Trevor Zegers because hey. they have such a hard time getting anything going without him offensively. Yeah. Yeah, he he really is the play driver for the team on offense. I mean, even against the Avalanche where they played a better game overall, they still only generated 1.8 expected goals for. It was kind of a low event game. And so really in all of these games, what, what's been kind of the trend that, that I've seen is that for, they've struggled to generate offense. And that's not shocking with Trevor Zegers being out of the lineup. And like you said, it kind of puts into focus kind of what we've been asked by a lot of people of, What's the difference? Why is this team so much better this year? And I think it's hard to necessarily say it's one player. And I think some people might push back on that, but we're talking about one elite level talent. And the the thing there is when you add Trevor Zegers into the lineup, he is able to either he takes the softer mat or the harder matchups and that lessens the load on Getzloff and Terry and gives them some softer matchups throughout the game. Or the vice versa happens, and if they're able to shut down Getzloff and Terry, then Zegers is able to thrive and has the easier matchups. And so not only is it the impact that he has when he's on the ice, but it's the impact he has by by setting up some softer matchups for his line mates as a result of that. And in some ways, the way that he plays is contagious throughout the lineup. And I think that it's not tangible, so I don't love using the, this example, but it's something that I think is, is a part of it. And so I think... By not having Zegers, it really puts the the offensive load on guys like Isaac Lundstrom, on potentially Sam Steele, and these are guys that at this point, sorry for everyone out there that love that loves Isaac Lundstrom, loves Sam Steele, they just don't have it offensively. They they just really don't, and so you lose a, a lot of your offensive capability in this roster when you lose a Trevor Zegers, and he really has shown what having an elite offensive talent can do. Um, for your roster and can really jump uh, jumpstart your entire roster moving forward. Yeah, and on the note of Trevor Zegers, was named Rookie of the Month for December. Yeah. Um, and he kind of just went off in December. I mean, 11 points in nine games, nine assists. It's a very Trevor Zegers line. Two goals and nine assists uh, for 11 yeah. points. Um, and one of those assists, obviously, slightly more memorable than the rest. Yeah. The the uh, Should we call it like the alley-oop? Or what was the one that you wanted? The flying, I, I wanted uh, the flying Z. The flying Z. Okay, I like that as well. Just to give you some quick stats, though, on Zegris, this is from Natural Stat Trick uh, in December. Expect the goals for percentage, 55.87%, and then Corsi for percentage, 54.44%. So, and, and also goals for percentage, 62.5%. So basically, uh, when Trevor Zegris was out there, along with Sonny Milano, the Ducks were completely i mean not completely but they were holding a very strong advantage and tilting the ice in their favor so 
Trevor Zegers is very good. And when you take that guy out of your lineup, uh, it doesn't quite look the same. And I mean, that's the thing. And, and you touched on it. And I think it's worth discussing very briefly here because it's been a little bit of a topic. Sam Steele and Isaac Lindstrom have been given elevated roles as of late, and they've been given better line mates. Uh, Sam Steele last month, I mean, played a lot on the wing with Getzlav and Terry, for example. And I think we're kind of seeing the limitations of these guys, at least in their current state. I mean, Sam Steele's almost 24, so he kind of is who he is. Lundestrom is obviously younger than that, and so there's still some runway left for him. But these guys just aren't trending to becoming offensive play drivers, guys who can create offense both for themselves and for their teammates. We've seen flashes of it, very, very few flashes of it from both guys, and it's good to know that they have that, but these are not guys who you're going to be able to count on in a top nine role. I think that realistically on a good team, and and I know you've said this as well, Isaac Lindstrom and Sam Steele are best served, best used as fourth liners. You know, they're like good fourth Mm -hmm. liners, but Mm -hmm. if I I don't really see Lundstrom, I mean, maybe he becomes the kind of third line center that a team can depend on as as, there's still, there's still a little runway for him to do that. As Dallas Akins has tried to to tell us, you know that he's he's got that that third line center that every championship team needs a shine to him, but it's kind of hard for me to believe that when the team is getting completely outplayed when he's on the ice. So, yeah. if you can't and, do that, then it seems like your future is fourth line, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. No, and I think that's the one thing that that people I think need to maybe understand is that when we say this, it's not necessarily meant to be a shot at these players. Honestly, for me personally, it's trying to set proper expectations for players because when you have these elevated expectations for players, then you're going to be disappointed when they don't perform to the level that you expect. And so by setting your, your expectations at the proper level, you can better evaluate not only that player, but better evaluate where the roster is on the whole and what is needed. And I think a big thing that this Ducks team currently needs is a better third line center. And I think that if you were looking at this roster and trying to, to look at it from the perspective of, what would they need it to truly contend in the playoffs right now? And to me, it would be an upgrade on the third line overall. Cause that third line right now, when it's Adam, and, yeah, I, I think both Lundestrom and Silverberg are fourth liners at this point. I, yeah. I think that Lundestrom at the, the lower point of, or entering his, uh, starting to enter his prime is currently a fourth liner and Silverberg exiting his prime is a fourth liner. I think Adam Henrique is best served on that third line. And I think he would actually be a perfect third line center. Um, if they wanted to to redeploy him as a center, and I think that you just gotta figure out the wingers at that third line or third line position, and then the Ducks would be in a much better spot. And they're yeah, close. I, they're close, honestly. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is if if there's one thing to take away from these three games, it's that the, the Ducks need offensive depth pretty yes. badly. I I think that it's funny in a weird way. I like their depth better on the blue line than I do up front. Should. Be- because on the blue line, you at least have guys you can just shuffle in mm-hmm. and you can maybe get by, you know, for, for stretches. But up front, they really have no margin for error, I think. Like yeah. You, like you take out one centerpiece in Zegris and the, the, the unit's ability to, to contribute offense just completely tanks. Yeah, it, it fell, fell off a cliff. Um, we should talk about, though, in that Vancouver game. First off, real quick before we actually get into the game, how wonderful was Bruce Boudreaux's mask? Well, it was wonderful when he was wearing it correctly. 
are you talking about when it fell down or when he had it upside down? Because he had it on upside down for a little no, bit. No, I mean, also. he had his nose showing for like half okay. the game, uh, which okay. I didn't appreciate. Come on. It, we're two years into the pandemic. You got to know how to wear your mask by now. I'm sorry. I, I, I love Bruce. I thought it was funny, but wear your mask correctly, please, for the love of God. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in that game, though, I thought that I, w- I should also mention that was Boudreaux's first game back in almost two years at Honda Center. So yeah, nice little... Actually, probably over two years at that point. So a yeah. nice little return for him. But overall, though, the Ducks just kind of showed nothing in this game. Yeah, I mean, the I I think if you're looking for the the bigger picture out of this, obviously there there's the offensive. It was the it was the Jacob Larson return game. Yeah, and so there there's there's the offensive lackluster performance uh, from the team on the whole. There is Cam Fowler getting hurt, which was a big blow for this team. And he got hurt in the first period, and you really saw the impact of that. Mm-hmm. And Jacob Larson having to step into that role, and oh man, he's uh, he's as bad as ever. It, the floor, it's, it's truly the, something. The floor is yours. I don't remember if it was actually. I'll take it back over. Uh, I don't know if it was this game or maybe it was the the game against Vegas. I can't remember. I think it was the the Vancouver game though. Yeah, it was because where was at he home. where he went to go make a make a pass uh, around the boards and banked it off the boards into the or no he hit the back of the net instead of being able to rim the puck around to Josh Manson and it bounced off the back of the net into the boards into the slot right onto a Vancouver stick. Yeah, and luckily John Gibson was able to make the save, and it's just like, yep, th- this is why. And there was another play in the in the Vegas game, very similar or not similar, but goes to make a pass, just a simple pass across the blue line, completely unpressured to find Josh Manson, and just completely misses him, like yeah. not even close to him. And it's just like these are the simple plays that you have to make at the NHL level in the offensive zone, and he can't. He, and, he can't. And, he can't make them. And he, he's also kind of a bad skater. Like these are plays that like. Maybe this is harsh, but I think Eric Branson even makes those plays. Like these are simple plays that any NHL defenseman should be able to make, and Jack Larson can't make them. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that this is the first time he's played this season. Yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, we don't yep. need to spill too and much on him. One more thing: Sam mm-hmm. Carrick had a really nice goal in that game. Yeah, um, driving front of the net, and I think maybe this is just a, a good way to jump off. Sam Carrick is is very good, and yeah. I I said this on Twitter. And Sam Carrick is the type of player that everyone thinks Derek Grant is. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Keep going. Keep going. In the sense of everyone views Derek Grant as this elite defensive player that pitches in with offense when he can and really, really is a solid defensive contributor for the Ducks. That is actually what Sam Carrick is. Like yeah. Sam Carrick, if you look at his RAPM charts, he's con- he's in the the positive in terms of the his defensive metrics. Um, expected goals four percentage, sitting at fifty two percent expected goals four percentage. Um, in terms of obviously goals aren't that great, but eight goals, two assists, so he's shipping with some points. So if you look at want to look for timely scoring, that does play a part somewhat in it. Um, but he's just been a really good contributor for this team this year, and to me, he is the perfect fourth liner and. Granted, this is a small sample size completely, but Buddy Robinson has also been impressive in that role and has put up some uh, solid enough numbers in that fourth-line role when you're looking at some RAPM charts. Yeah, no, I mean, the thing with with Sam Carrick, I mean, it's piggybacking off everything you said. I was saying this the other day. Like, he's an effective grinder. He's He does the grinder things, right? He hits, he fights, he, he, has, a, he has a mustache, right? He does all the things. <laughs> he does all the grinder things, but... 
he actually is an effective player. He actually is able to push play in the correct direction. He's able to be responsible defensively. He doesn't go out of his way to make a hit, right? He doesn't take himself out of position to do that. And when he does have the puck on his stick, as you saw in that goal against Vancouver, he's able to do something with it. Now he's never going to be mistaken for a high skill guy, but he's, he's able to get around the ice. And um, it's just cool to see, because I think we, we have dunked a little bit on Aiken's love and loyalty to Carrick in the past. Yeah, we 100% and I, it, have. and I think we should take the L here a little bit, 100%. Eat, a little, eat a little crow on the podcast. Dallas, Higgins, yep. if, you're, if you're listening, uh, I apologize. We apologize for the Carrick slander. He is, He's been a very good player. I mean, he's been one of the Ducks' best players this year. Like, I don't even think that's a stretch to say. Yeah, I mean, so I now have up on the screen is the RAPM charts uh, for this season comparing Sam Carrick to Derek Grant. So you can see the stark difference. <laughs> and I'm also now going to show other noted uh, fourth liner, Nicolas Delorier, or Nicolas Delorier, and the comparison there. And you can really see kind of the difference here and what Sam Carrick brings and how he's really good at putting shots towards other teams net. Maybe not the most dangerous shots, but he gets them uh, generated towards other teams net and is great at limiting quality and quantity against. And that's a really vital thing um, for the ducks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, that is a big difference maker as well. I mean, if, if you're going to ask me, you know, what's the biggest difference with this team this year after Trevor's egress, <laughs> I might say a fourth line that isn't total garbage, right? Having yeah. having a guy in Sam Carrick who's actually doing something for you out there as opposed to in the past that the fourth lines we've seen, that is a big difference as well. Um, so yeah, shout out to Sam Carrick. It, it's, it's cool to see. It's cool to see that he's become a mainstay on this team. It's always a good story when a guy rises up from the AHL, a career AHL really in Carrick and is able to finally get his foot through the door. Yeah, uh, at the and, NHL. Level. I mean, I would say he's kicked the door down this season. Yeah, no, he's in. He's in. The door, the door is gone. It's closed behind him. He's in the house. He's roaming about the house now. Yeah, the building, yep. whatever, yep. whatever uh, you want to use in that metaphor. Anything else on this game? Um, I mean, the only downside to that overtime was the Ducks finally didn't start Silverberg and Lunderstrom together yeah. in the three-on-three overtime, and ended up uh, the puck going the other way, and Vancouver scored. Yeah. And so now that's never going to happen or that's always going to be how they start again. And yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. The other thing, I think this was a good Gibson game and then you get the goal against an overtime and now people are a little upset about his overall performance, but I thought he was good in this game. I mean, this, this was one of his better games. If you look at the expected goals on money puck, it was 3.343, 3. point, sorry, 3.43 expected goals against for Vancouver. And he allowed two. So he clearly was a positive ad for this team. Um, I kind of thought that maybe he should have come out on, was it the the overtime goal? But I'm not going to fault a goalie for playing it safe, though. Because if you come out and get burned, then everybody's... You're on on highlight reels. You're going to get raked over the coals for for a good 48 hours there. So I I get it. Um, And it was a perfect shot by JT Miller as well. Oh, yeah. So I, I don't... I don't really fault Gibson on that. And I guess it's a good time to bring up the fact that we've been on, we've talked a lot about John Gibson this season and just how he's been good enough and maybe not like the reason that the ducks are where they are right now. I guess your impression on your, your, your finger on the pulse of that, that narrative right now about John Gibson and and his role in the team's success. 
So I think John Gibson has been a positive contributor to this team. I think that that's something on the whole that you can definitely say is that five goals saved above expected. But when you're looking at that five goals saved above expected um, for the entirety of the season with how with however many games he's played, um, I will look that up right now just to be able to get that specific number uh, for you. But that's not a, a huge amount, right? When you're looking at a games played perspective, right? He's played in 26 games. So five goals saved above expected. That's uh, only like, uh, I do not know where my, oh, there's my calculator. Are you grabbing will, a calculator right now? I, I am. This is embarrassing. This is me being an engineer, you know? You know you, know you can do that in your browser unless you're no, not using Google Chrome. I am. It's a .19 goal <laughs> saved above expected per game. And so while, yes, it's good, it's not like he's a driving force behind this team's success. Yeah, because it's, it's a cumulative stat. So yeah. it's not like he's five goals above expected one, every game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think that's the one thing is that he's had his good games, and that's for sure. I think Vegas comes to mind as a game that he was really good in. Vancouver comes to mind as another game he was really good in. Mm-hmm. And I think that those couple of really good games uh, essentially wash away the more poor games that he's had this season, and people tend to forget that those have happened also. And so while, yes – the, the good performances overall come to mind. There have been some stinkers in there also. And yeah. even even though he's had some games where even in those stinkers, he'll make a great save or two. Those one or two great saves don't make up for the fact that he still allowed four goals in that game. Yeah, I think, I think John Gibson is a hard goalie for people to evaluate only because he is capable of making, like you said, these highlight reel saves and capable of looking so good that when he's not playing well, I think a lot of people get, just operate under the assumption that, well, it's because the team in front of him isn't playing well enough because he's obviously so skilled. He's capable of making these crazy saves. So clearly it can't be him. That's the problem when in reality, and this is something that's been noted by, was it Steve Valaket mm-hmm. who talked about Gibson being kind of a first save goalie where he is capable of making that crazy save. He is capable of, robbing an opportunity but sometimes it may be because he's out of position or he'll get there but then it's the second save it's the rebound it's readjusting that can be a challenge for him um and i think that for people it's with goaltending it's just you really got to keep in mind don't be a prisoner of the optics you got to watch for the results more well, than I mean, anything it's the same thing as on ice stuff you you get mm-hmm. blinded by one goal and that kind of blind you to the way the guy played the rest of the game or you get blinded by one turnover and miss every other good play that he made the rest of the game and so just because there's one good play doesn't negate all of the other ones that happen yeah and so i mean john gibson this season he has a 915 save percentage so even if you're just looking at raw save percentage that's not anything out yeah like that that's perfectly fine but that's not outstanding and so i think honestly here's the the kind of funny part in all of this is Mm -hmm. that I think the fact that we can say the Ducks are in the position that they're in and John Gibson has just been fine goes to show how actually Brooks. good the Ducks have been this season and the growth that they've had. And so this shouldn't be taken in a negative light. This should show that this team hasn't needed a stellar John Gibson this no. year to be successful. And it's because they've had better on-ice play. And so I, I think that that's a really critical aspect here for, the for I think, the, the discussion and the narrative around all of this. Yeah, and like again, we're not bashing Gibson at all. We're we're saying the opposite. We're saying he's been fine, but it seems like whenever Gibson has a good game, 
people come out of the woodwork and start saying, oh, don't you forget, you know, John Gibson is is very good. He's the reason they are where they are. It's like, no, he, he's he's been good, but it, he hasn't been that. Yeah. Um, and if you're a Ducks fan, like you should kind of latch on to that because that's like you said, it's a, that's it's the, a great narrative. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's yeah. that's no small thing. It's completely contrary to what we've seen. Uh, the last few years. Sorry if I sound a little distracted. By the way, I'm 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 going through a very uh, challenging and nerve wracking fantasy football matchup right now. Sorry, uh, it's uh, it's coming down to the wire once again. Right. Anyway, all right. Sh- so should we move on? <laughs> yes, I think before we we get into our next topic, I think it's time for a word from our sponsor. So. Uh, this, uh, this episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit. You can enjoy your greens while being green. Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of their plastic packaging in every box and 100% of their carbon footprint emissions. Green Chef is, uh, Green Chef's, uh, pre-portioned ingredients means that you'll actually reduce your food waste by at least 25% compared to grocery, uh, shopping. And, they, with their fresh produce and premium proteins and organic ingredients, you can trust Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. They offer 35 nutritious, nutritious and flavorful options to choose from each week, featuring premium clean ingredients that are seasonally sourced for peak freshness. Green Chef's always changing variety of easy to follow recipes means there's something new to discover each week so you never get bored. And Green Chef's also so convenient and easy. They make cooking easy so you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home cooked meal. Their pre-made and pre-measured sauces, dressings, and spices get you more chef curated flavors in less time. You can avoid long lines at the grocery store. Also, Green Chef is so convenient with pre-portioned, easy to follow recipes that are delivered right to your door and also let's just say you're you're trying out a different uh specialty diet as of right now uh they have an option for your lifestyle including keto plus keto or paleo vegan vegetarian fast and fit mediterranean and gluten-free whether you're looking for carb conscious gluten-free plant-based or calorie conscious options or you just want to have delicious balanced dishes green chef has flavorful Good for you recipes as the first ever and only keto meal kit on the market. Green Chef makes sticking to a carb conscious lifestyle easy. So Felix, what are some of uh, your favorite recipes that you've had from Green Chef over the past? uh, I mean, they've been a sponsor for us for a while now, actually. So you know that I like burgers. You know that I'm a huge In-N-Out fan. Now, obviously, this isn't In-N-Out, but I got to say truffle cheeseburger has a pretty nice ring to it. You've got truffle truffle butter lathered all over this uh, nice beef patty with a side of roasted potatoes. You got tomatoes on there, caramelized onions, cheese. I mean, it's one of the tastiest burgers I've ever had. And despite all of that, you can make that fit into your diet. You can actually make that work. Uh, it's all, like you said, quality ingredients, very well sourced. And so, yeah, I mean, that alone, truffle cheeseburger is pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, and I mean they they have so many great meals, and I, I as I've mentioned in the past, me and my wife have loved them so much. We save the recipes so we can try to remake them on our own afterwards. the The meals are delicious. I mean, as of right now on their current menu, they have Philly style cheap beef and cheese stuffed uh, bell peppers, sesame ginger bavette steak, and shrimp. Um, there there's just basically everything that you would potentially want, and I believe Felix, we actually have one coming our way soon. So yep. can't wait to be able to eat that and have that on our plates. It's absolutely delicious. It's something I look forward to every single time. So, 
Uh, if you want to be like us and enjoy some Green Chef, you can go to greenchef.com slash CTP130 and use the code CTP130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. That's once again, greenchef.com slash CTP130 and use code CTP130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Uh, Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. On that note, Let's talk about. Let, should we try to make this brief? The game against Vegas on New Year's. Yeah. Eve? Do you want to just briefly talk about Jacob Larson and that's it? I mean this 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 was the Ducks' worst game of the season, right? Yeah. Like I I don't there are there any contenders I'm forgetting right now. They're probably. I are. mean the Vancouver game was close. Yeah, yeah, but this one with I just don't even know where to begin because the it's not as if you know the. Vegas oh, I, actually, here's a game that was worse. Okay. Second game of the season against Minnesota. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I Forgive me if I if that one didn't come to mind immediately. But the thing with this game that was sort of frustrating from a Ducks perspective is that, yes, you are missing key players. You're, you're missing Cam Fowler, which we'll get into. And that is a big blow. But if you look at that Vegas lineup, missing some very big names as well. Yeah. No Mark Stone. No Max Pacioretty, you would think, and the Ducks have played Vegas well in this season, and so and you, you would think that this would be a scenario that maybe they can withstand it a little bit. Instead, they lay a total egg. Yeah, and, and that Vegas lineup also is the lineup that had really poor on ice metrics throughout the season. Yeah. Um, once they got Stone and Pacioretty back, their numbers actually really rebounded heavily. But I mean, this was a team that had Ben Hutton on their top pair. Granted, it was with Alex Petrangelo, but this is a guy that the Ducks had on a PTO and didn't sign him. And, and so that that's who was on the top pair for Vegas. So I, I think all things considered with the guys that they had in their lineup, this was a huge disappointment for the Ducks to lay an egg this bad. And it, I mean, it was really disappointing. And I don't think there's really any other way to put it. I mean, Jack of Lars, everyone was horrible. And, and I think this game really reiterated to at least you and me that Larson had no place in the Ducks lineup moving forward. And it appeared that that, act, that message got through the, to the Ducks uh, coaching staff also and yeah. management after this game. The only other thing to really talk about is I think the Ducks kind of embarrassed themselves a little bit with going out of their way to get in some, so, uh, into some fights there at the end. Um, it really felt like kind of, crying over spilled milk situation. Yeah, it wasn't um, a great look. Yeah, and, and so some people will say you're trying to uh, well, especially ju- I, juice, I, up, juice up the room and these different things, but it, it didn't... It, I Personally, here's my view of it. Ryan Getzloff being off the ice for seven minutes is well, not going to help the Ducks get a comeback going, whether that, it's a fight that, to ignite the room or anything like that. that. That's the one that kickstarted everything, was the Getzloff fight. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, the game is still in the balance. And instead, your best center by a huge margin at that point, because you have no Trevor Zegras, mm-hmm. is out of the game. And and for what exactly? To fight Keegan Colasar. <laughs> yeah. Who was who what, a fourth like, liner? Yeah. And so that's the other part is there. The Ducks broadcast made it seem like, of course, gets like that's on Colasar. Like, how could he challenge him? It's like, Getzloff can say no. He has the ability to say no. He's a veteran in this league. He yeah, doesn't guys need do to say do no. that. Like that is a thing, guys. Like he doesn't. No. He doesn't need to do that. And it's it, like the Ducks broadcast made it seem like, oh, of course, the Ducks were going to try to get their uh, their pound of flesh after that and try to take some big guys. It's like Getzloff has the ability to say no. There, well, he sure. Doesn't... I mean, if the game's already over, that's one thing, right? If the game's already out of hand, but at that point, you're down two it was nothing. Three to, was it two nothing? 
Yeah, it was two nothing when Getzlaff okay. fought. I think um, maybe now I need to double check. Maybe it was three nothing. But the point is, like, you still have an opportunity. They didn't take it. Um, and I don't know. It, it's weird because a lot of people will say, and maybe not fully wrongly, that well, the Ducks have all these absences. They're missing Trevor Zegers and Cam Fowler at this point. You know, how much can you really expect from them? And it's like, yeah, that's that's definitely a huge impediment. And you're playing a Vegas team that is missing some very good players, but they're still at home and the Ducks struggle there. But I would look at it and say, well, if the Ducks are the team that we think they are, if they are if they are the team that we're proclaiming them to be, this improved squad, then you're going to face some adversity and you you want to see them fight through that a little bit and, and be able to perform under duress. And instead, it felt like in those two games, Vancouver and particularly against Vegas, they just... They just completely folded. And I don't know. I mean, part of that, I think, might be some coaching mistakes. The the individual li- the lines that Aikens put together just really didn't work. Yep. Um, and then just the guys on the ice didn't perform well either. So it's, it's kind of a mix of the two. I mean, these two games really felt like a throwback to the past two seasons, right? Yeah. Like, it, it yeah. really felt like we were back in uh, the 2021 season and the uh, 1920 season with how this roster was playing. And it really just, like I said, like kind of we said, it goes to show the impact that Trevor Zegers has had. But I think it also goes to show that when these guys are put in these elevated positions – they're not necessarily meant for them. And it just kind of exposes the depth of the roster. Yeah. And whether that is actually a depth issue on the roster, or whether that is a coaching issue, not being able to properly optimize them. I mean, it could be take your pick there with which one you want. I mean, Derek Grant was playing in an elevated role and we'll get into the Colorado game where he was the first line center for this Ducks team. And it, it's just it, the decisions that were made. I mean, I think that there are a lot of better options that the Ducks could have had than playing Derek Grant. Because what was it? Grant was the... Was he still on the wing for this game? I yeah, think he was. He was on the wing with Lundestrom okay. and Silverberg. That's yeah. right. Well, well, so the thing with Vegas is that the Ducks clearly... I mean, they just couldn't transition the puck at all. Like they, they yeah, just, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They couldn't get it out of their zone. When they did get it out, they couldn't get it through the neutral zone. When they did get it through the neutral zone, they couldn't really set up at all in the offensive zone, their ability to just move the puck was severely limited. And I think that if you're a Jeff Solomon and let's say you're eventually going to be the GM of this team, you really have to be watching carefully right now, because I think part of it is that the system that Aikens is preaching might not work for specific guys when they're elevated, but also some of these depth guys are just super limited as it is inherently. And so you really have to be watching closely and, and tell yourself, well, if if we're going to turn this thing into what we think it can be, which is a cup contender, then some tweaking is absolutely going to be needed in the bottom six or really, I mean, all throughout the lineup because you can't have a scenario where, yes, you are missing Trevor Zegers and you are missing Camp Fowler, but you can't have a scenario where you just turn into an AHL team. Like, yeah. that just can't happen. Yeah. And yeah, that's basically I mean, I, what happened against Vegas. Well, I mean, the, the thing that comes to mind right away is like Pittsburgh early this season when – they had Danton Heinen playing in a top line role. They had uh, Jeff Carter there. They had they were missing Crosby and Malkin, and they were able to play some really good hockey. And that's on coaching and yeah. get be able to get that out of guys. So um, and put together a system that works for them. So uh, I think that's really it for this game, though. Anything else? Well, well, I I also do want to add that for the people that have been saying, well, why would the Ducks still be in rebuild mode? Why would they still sell? These are the games that show you why. Oh yeah, yeah, they're not—they're not all the way there yet. You know, no, 
the good teams find a way. It doesn't have to be for the whole season, but you they, the, the good teams find a way to survive uh, when you're dealing with injuries. And the Ducks did anything but in that in the in those two games we just talked about. Yeah, Col- Colorado game was a bit more encouraging though. Uh, yeah, it 100 percent was. D- depending who you ask, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean this was... some some people were saying that now the Ducks uh, season is over after the Colorado game, but yeah, that this is doom and gloom. <laughs> and, and well, granted, yes, the way they lost was uh depressing. But here's my view of a lot of these types of things: is that when you're on a losing streak, you're most of the time gonna have a game that you should have probably won, um, that you end up losing. Mm-hmm. but that is a sign that the streak is going to end because you're going to come out of it if you keep playing like that. Right. And so this was a good sign for the Ducks. And while granted, I think there are some things that you can be critical of. Like the Ducks had like, I think it was 1.3 expected goals in the first period. And then like 0.5 after that. So they got that two goal lead and really just sat on it at five on five and yeah. didn't really generate a whole lot. Didn't do a whole lot, which granted we probably should say, with the lineup they had isn't the worst decision in the world, yeah. but still against the avalanche, you would want to see them keep going for it. Well, I, but- I think, I think this is the game where you can lean into the injury excuse a bit more because no, gets off. you're missing Zegers. You're missing gets You're missing your top two centers on a team that again, center depth is not really a strength after those two guys. And then after, and you're, you, yes, you have Cam Fowler in the lineup, but does anyone actually think that he was a hundred percent in that game? Yeah, like played fine, but you saw you saw how he crashed into those boards against Vancouver. Like, yeah, there's no way look good. there's no way he's fine right now. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that, yes, this is the game where you could definitely come up with some more excuses. Also of note, um, if Fowler wasn't going to be good to go, it was going to be Greg Patteron to come in. So it Jacob Larson was just completely shot out of the cannon after that Vegas game. And Greg Pattern was going to give an, be given a shot instead of him. Um, so that just goes to show, I guess, where his stock is at uh, or Larson's stock is at after those couple of games. Um, too harsh that we're still harping on him, maybe. But, you know, I, I, we, we there's no do- we. You're the one that brought this up. True. Um, um, but getting back to it, I, I, the main issue that the Ducks had this game was the penalty parade. Yeah, and that if you want to key in on a big negative, because the Ducks ended up having the one the expected goals battle, one point eight to one point three one. So at five on five, it was actually relatively low event from a, a chance perspective. Um, and, and so especially when the the Avs had their their goal that was a three on one, that was kind of their most dangerous chance at five on five that they had. The issue for the Ducks here was that they were just continuing to take dumb penalties, yep. and it it really came back to bite them. And I mean, you had the fact that. Josh Manson got called for elbowing um, on a power play or on a penalty kill to, and then Colorado scores. And so the ducks have to kill off another two minutes after that. And so the, the bigger issue here is the, the ducks really needs to be a bit more disciplined and they saw it against Vegas. Also, I believe they took six penalties against Vegas and, and granted Vegas didn't score, but this is something we've talked about a little bit of late, uh, which is the fact that the ducks penalty kill is not as good as you think they are. No. And, and so if you're purely looking at the expected or purely looking at the penalty kill percentage, they're going to look like they're in a better spot. But if you're looking at the quality of chances they're giving up, they're giving up a lot more quality than they're actually uh, allowing in terms of goals. And so part of that is John Gibson playing well. Part of it is just in some ways uh, they're getting a bit lucky. And so at some point in time, it's going to come back to bite them. And especially if they take this many penalties, that penalty kill percentage is going to fall off a cliff. 
Yeah, I mean, they're 17th in expected goals against uh, per 60 in the NHL. Or sorry, no, they're 16th. So they're just middle of the road. Like there's 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 going to be some variance. It was there. I, I think they're like at seven expected goals against per 60 and four goals against per 60. Yeah. So there's some mobility there. Honestly, though, the only thing that matters from that game is that Troy Terry came through for me with my little bet, my little player prop bet. That that's all that matters. I mean, hey, I made money. So there was a there was a bet, a prop bet on Bovada. It was over under two and a half shots on goal for Troy Terry. And it was plus 120 for the over. Uh, obviously, I slammed that because there's no way that I'm not going to let my Troy Slam, Terry. Slammed it with how much money? We don't need to talk about that part. Let's just say I was on my last dime in my how, betting account. How much money did you make off of it? I made, let's see, $6.34, something like that. Off of? $5. There you go. <laughs> I was on my last slam, Slam the over, folks. Sla- slam I mean, the over. Well, when you consider that that $5 was 100% of my bankroll, <laughs> you understand my happiness with, with getting it. Um, no, I mean, this is something that maybe we'll start looking at more because some of these are like, it just seems like easy money, right? I mean, Troy Terry getting more than two shots on goal. The, the, I mean, the one that I find interesting most of the time, and I haven't actually done prop bets like that, but I've done some stuff on monkey night fight, which is very similar to that, mm-hmm. um, is saves. Yeah. Well, so I, my theory is that, so if you look at the NFL lines for player prop bets, first off, there's like hundreds of them for each game, but you know that those are all very heavily monitored by the sports books. I feel like the NHL doesn't get that same attention. And so some of those feel a little wacky. Uh, and so there's a money making opportunity as there was for me. I am yeah. now richer. I'm now a rich man. I'm now made one, man. one, one dollar, one and a half dollars richer. Well, no, I'm $6 richer. I so mean, you had, I, you I had risked, $5. I risked five to make six. Yeah. So you're $1 and like 30 cents richer. No, I have 11. So the account balance went from $5. Oh, to yes. It's plus 120. I didn't realize that's how it worked. That is how it works, Jake. Welcome to gambling. I thought you got... Okay. Yeah. I, no, I legitimately it, have it, never it, placed it, a regular it, bet. If it was minus 120, then yeah, it would be less money than what I put down. But this was to make plus money. So more than what I got put it, down. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. When I saw the plus on Terry, my eyes lit up because I was like, "There's yes, he's going to get three shots. They're playing Colorado. He loves playing against them. Anyway, so we might start doing that. I think that'd be a fun little... Fun little side. Yep. And so anything else from the Colorado game? Uh, No, I mean, same old, same old. Like Cam Fowler is super important for this team. There was an article today from Eric Stevens about that, which I think we wanted to talk about. I don't know if you still do. Yeah, we can get into it briefly. I will say this. Cam Fowler is this team's best defenseman. I no longer think it's close. Agree or disagree on all all fronts. I think it's close between him and Lindholm. I think is there's it, an argument it, either it, way. Is it though? Yeah. Is it though? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'd love to hear the the reasoning there. I think there's an argument to be made between two of them. I think they're both high end defensemen for this team at five on five. I think they both play well. Um, I think they both impact the game for this Ducks I mean, team. I th- I, mm-hmm. I think that Fowler's probably been better this season. What do you mean? Pro- well, hold on. He's definitely been better. Okay. Like inarguably better. Okay. Like he's been better this season. You, you're you're at the you're at the controls here. You can comp- put both their RPM charts. On I this, I on do. The Twitch stream I will. Everybody. I will. I have it up. Well, 
Like, I think that we can call it for right now that Fowler's been better. Maybe yeah, he won't and, be by season's end. Yeah, and, and I think that... <laughs> it's pretty stark. I, it, it is, it is. And it's now up on the screen for everyone there. You can see that it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting difference there between the two of them. I do think Cam Fowler, the one thing that's been so interesting with him of late is that I, I think Dallas Akins, you can be critical of a lot that he's done, but ever since he's come into the Ducks... Cam Fowler has thrived and yeah. he's really found his game. And if you're looking for one po- a big positive from Dallas Aiken's tenure with the ducks and it's, been, it would be Cam Fowler's tenure um, or Cam Fowler's run over that here, time because he's Jake. been, he's been excellent. One thing I'll also challenge you to do for the people watching multi-season street, multi-season that will also weaken what you've been saying here. There you go. But yeah. So yeah, I think that it is interesting to note that, uh, Fowler has really flourished under Akins because if, like you said, the difference between him under Carlisle and now is very stark. I don't really have a great hypothesis for that yet. We've heard a lot about how this season, the ducks have their defensemen a lot more involved in the rush. And maybe they started off the last couple of years with the Lindholm spearheading that. And now this year it's grown out to the rest of the blue line, but he's just been, and it's funny because he's not even really that flashy. He's just so effective, so poised back there. And when he's skating it out, he's really not overextending himself. He doesn't really ever make costly mistakes. But he's also not death by a thousand cuts either, right? Because there are guys who, although you never see them make the Jacob Larson type mistake, their consistent decision to chip it out and give it back to the team actually does end up being a huge drag. Fowler isn't either of those things. He's just a very effective player. He's able to get it into the offensive zone. He's able to do something once it's down there. And it's funny. I was thinking about this today. One of the first articles I ever wrote about the Ducks. Back I remember like reading this, actually. <laughs> I wrote that Cam Fowler was overrated. And I remember this, was, this. This was in 2014. And at the time, I th- I stand by what I said, because at the time, his numbers were nowhere near uh, the perception. But... Since that time, clearly things have turned around for him in a major, major way. And it's just cool to see because he is one of those guys in the in the NHL who are just even when his numbers weren't good, it's still fun to watch. Like he's just and his, v- his micro stats even then zone exits he was great at. But I mean, you look at his macro stats now. I mean, this season on the whole, 51% expected goals, four percentage. Last thing was that season was at 46.9%, but that still for that team actually was excellent yeah. in comparison to the rest of the team. And 1920, 51.1% expected goals, four percentage. And so that's the three years of Dallas Akins. All three years also above 50% in terms of Corsi four percentage. So I'm going to give you this opportunity. Do you want to take back the Lindholm comparison? What do you and, mean? And give Fowler the 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 title. Of, of Ducks oh, I just think I just think there's a there's an argument. I think that Fowler is the better one right now. So what's interesting though is that I think that people, if I were to make this point and put it out on Twitter, people would reply and say, "Well, he's Hampus not Lindholm, physical enough." Well, no, they would say Hampus Lindholm is playing with Jamie Drysdale, who is, if you haven't heard, nineteen. <laughs> My pushback to that though would be, well. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that Jamie Drysdale's <laughs> been great. This is where you were going. And then all of a sudden he's dragging down Hampus Lindholm. Like, pick a side here. Um, and so I think that that would be the contrarian view there. Well, and, and to that same point, Cam Fowler's playing with Josh Manson. Yeah, like, are we sure Josh Manson is that much better than Jamie Drysdale right now? Like, I feel like it's pretty clear that on both pairings, 
Lindholm and Fowler are the primary guys. They are the guys driving yeah. that pairing. Um, and I'm not saying Lindholm's been bad, by the way. Like, I think he's being asked to play a different style than he has been in recent years. Jamie Drysdale is a very unique partner because he's so mobile. Uh, I mean, he's not Josh Manson, that's for damn sure. So it's an adjustment for him. And I think overall hasn't been great, but he's hasn't been terrible either. So not a huge referendum on Lindholm. Just here to say that Cam Fowler is very good. Put some respect on his name. And we don't need any caveats for this. We don't need any asterisks. No whatabouts. He's just good. That's yep. it. Yep. That's the tweet. And, and I think for any argument about his contract, he makes six and a half mil. He's well worth that. Yeah. Seth Jones makes nine something. Yeah. Seth, 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 horrible at hockey Jones is yeah. making that much money and Cam yeah. Fowler isn't. So I, I think any sort of, and that was kind of what the article was getting at today. It was highlighting some things that people detractors could say. And it's like, well, no, he's actually been great at five on five and he's actually worth his contract. Yeah. No, like I, the, the value there, I don't know what the numbers would be, but I think he's exceeding what you yeah. would expect from that contract. Yep. Completely um, agreed. Um, it, it will be interesting though, I guess just to round this out, it will be interesting to see how this looks in a couple of years because he is going to age at some point, yep, right? Yep, like that's it will happening. fall off. And so we'll see how, but he's got some room now to drop. So, all right, before we get into the questions, let me ask you this. So tomorrow there will be no, um, there will be no Derek Grant, no Nick Delorier, and no Ryan Getzloff. We know that. Uh-huh. Who knows if there's going to be more that will come off, but what's your prediction prediction for the Ducks lineup tomorrow? Ooh. Okay. Um, let me, let me get my protractor out and my calculator. Let, let's see if I can devise a lineup here for Dallas Higgins. I think you for sure do Raquel Zegris Milano. Do they do that though? Yes. Okay. I think you see Carrick Robinson and Steele would be a line, but you got to put Steele somewhere. I don't know. I'm struggling here. Well, the issue is, is that I was trying to think back. I'm like, all right, three forwards being out is the same as Vancouver, but Vancouver, they played 11 forwards. Yeah. But let's just assume they call up, I don't know, Bo Gru. Mm-hmm. Do you think they do that? I think they. I think that would make sense, put Gru on the wing. Well, hasn't Kindop been on the taxi squad? There, Everyone on the taxi squad got removed today and sent back to the goals. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like, to be honest with you. It's mm-hmm. going to be, it, it's whatever we're about to put together now. It's not going to be that. I know. I just more want to out you. I mean, how am I being outed? I don't know that I can't put a lineup together. Exactly. Well, I mean, the big thing is that they're probably, I mean, knock on wood, but I would imagine that this list will grow. I mean, they, you... they, they canceled practice today. True. So, uh, which isn't a great sign of, of things to come. I mean, Coltois is in the lineup. Zegers will be back. We assume Zegers will be back. Do they call up a Jacob Perot? I mean, the other question is, is that I guess, uh, and, and maybe this plays well, into at, the fact with who they called up previously, but mm-hmm. the goals, I guess, were dealing with a big COVID issue on their team. And I believe everyone except for one has now come out of COVID protocol and they wouldn't release an, the names of players that were under COVID protocol. So supposedly there's a lot of names that could be called up now. So, I mean, you've got Raquel. I mean, I'll just throw names out there. Raquel, Carrick, Silverberg. Uh, Coltois, Lundestrom. Wait, did, didn't we? Didn't we have Raquel with Zegers? No, I'm just throwing out names. Like I oh. literally just said, I'm just throwing out. Got names. it. Got Raquel, it. Sorry. Grant Silverberg. These are just lines. Like just lines. Uh, Coltois, Lundstrom, Terry, 
Milano, Steele, Letary, and then you could have Zegris. I mean, I'm just saying like Zegris would never play with Buddy Robinson, but really you only have two spots that you need to, to worry about because Zegris is coming back in theory. Yeah. It's the Grant and Deloria spots. So yep. you would imagine, I mean, I, I doubt we see Jacob Perot, um, but we're going to see someone that's going to be kind of different, right? Yeah. Unless they go 11 forwards again. Well, they can't. I mean, you're missing Grant and well, I guess. Yeah. Greg, you, you, Greg you, Patterson. Yeah. So actually realistically, sorry, you're again, this is all under the assumption Zegris comes back. You only have one spot to fill because Grant and Delorier, um, that gets offset with one guy coming back. Yep. Yeah, so because, actually, Com- because Comtois came back when Getzloff went out. So they're not really in that big of a bind. It's no. not that bad. It's not that bad. We're, we're the dog in the burning house. Everything is fine. Yeah. Um, what they really can't afford, though, is their blue line getting hit. Because yeah. that, that can get ugly really fast. Yeah. Or are there any of their goalies. <laughs> I mean, this is just... No one is exempt. Like, there's no positional bias here from the virus. So... Uh, but yeah, I mean, for tomorrow though, for for the Philly game, I think that they can cobble something together, and hopefully and they play. You don't think they'll play? I mean, if they if it goes through the locker room and yeah, it's like hopefully the game gets played. I mean, the beauty of 2022 is that I have zero expectations for this season. I yep. am just like, if there's a hockey game on, there's a hockey game on. If they, like if there's an NHL season, there's an NHL season. But I have zero expectations by now very liberating yeah all right so let's get some questions here so we got some from discord we'll start there then twitch will come to you uh app ag and discord said question who is the next captain after getzloff i mean we've speculated trevor zegris but i feel like there's a good case for troy terry and i think there's also a good case depending on when it happens if if let's just say this is getzloff's last year i could see them slapping the c on fowler for four or five seasons for a couple seasons just to reward him yeah. Kind of the lifetime achievement award. Yeah. I think if Getzloff lasts three, four more years, then that's not happening. Do you think he lasts three, four more years, though? I can see him lasting two two or three more. Yeah. It's really hard. I, I feel like it's just so year to year with him. Yeah. Um, and Casey said, I know you all mentioned uh, Chikrin, but are there any other younger players worth targeting for the Ducks at the deadline that doesn't stray too much from the rebuild plan, especially from those teams clearly out of the playoffs now, like Seattle? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, any names come to mind? This is uh, your, this is your neck of the woods. Uh, not really off the top of my head, to be honest. I can't think of any from Seattle. I mean, Hayden Flurry. <laughs> uh, probably no, not. He hasn't actually played that much, so I wouldn't actually, I, I, I don't think he's played that great in Seattle this year from what I mm-hmm. recall looking at earlier. Um, but I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, Chikrin's the name that's out there in terms of readily available. Um, so one name that is kind of interesting, but I don't think he would be available and is slightly older. Let's see. He's 26. He's going to be 27 in July. Um, Arturi Lekkanen in Montreal. So he's, I don't know how this happened. I guess it's just the way his contract was set up, but he's an RFA at the end of his current deal. And he's making 2.3 right now a year. And he's the kind of player the ducks need for their depth. Like they need a play driving forward, a guy who you can just put out there and he's going to be able to keep the play going in the right direction. Um, and I don't really know what his future is with the Canadians. I mean, everything seems to be up in the air right now. You have a new, I mean, I, sh- I can't say GM, but you have Jeff Gordon there in charge. It's, it oh. sounds like, it, it sounds like they're going for the rebuild. So Lekkanen would be a guy that I would think about. We're dumb. 
Okay. Uh, Kevin Fiala. Yeah, he's not leaving Minnesota, is he? He wants out. He's requested. Oh, a trade. really? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh he's my on, god, he, he's on the trade bait board. So you're telling me that the Wild's uh, best forward wants out? Wow. <laughs> Don't you remember that? That's why we had this conversation in Discord about uh, Kaprizov versus Fiala was because Fiala had requested a trade. I mean, so here are the guys on the. This is as of December eighth, the trade bait board. There's only ten players. Uh, but it's Ben Sherrod, Anton Hudobin, Jake DeBrusque, Mark Giordano, Tomas Hurdle, Nick Letty, Vitaly Kravtsov, Kevin Fiala, Phil Kessel, uh, Evander Kane. Mm-hmm. So to me, Fiala is the only one out of that list that I would target. I mean, you go Fiala because yeah. he is very, very good. I feel like he's underrated um, at this point in the NHL. Like the the amount of value that he's adding to that team doesn't seem to be very appreciated. But he's going to be 26 this year. It's weird because again, it's like with Lekin and like he's gonna be an RFA. So I'm wondering what he's gonna want, like what that next deal is gonna look like. But man, if you plug in a Kevin Fiala on the Ducks for the next couple of years, mm-hmm. oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Picture Kevin Fiala with Trevor Zegris. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great name. I like that a lot. Yep. So I not sure what it would take to get him, but yeah. Um, so I think that's the, that's why I saw well, it. I was especially like Especially because the wild don't really have to do anything. Like he's an RFA. So, yeah. so, yeah. all right. So time to get some questions from Twitch. So for those of you watching on YouTube, yes, we're on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash crash Please smash that like and subscribe button. Hit that notification bell to get these videos when they go live. You can see all of the charts that I put up throughout the stream. But if you're there, if you're on your favorite podcast services and you want to watch us live, you can go to twitch.tv slash crash every Monday at 8 p.m. We go live for, I don't know, typically hour two hours, something in that range. And if you want to support the show, if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. And you can be just like Darko Theory, who resubbed for eight months. Science Cat 108, our good friend Jessica, who gifted a sub uh, out. And SB Bruin, who subscribed for the, for the first time. And with that, you get special badges next to your name. Special emotes in the chat. So let's start getting to some questions. So SJ Hawking said, does Fowler have an A on his jersey when talking about when we were talking about the captaincy stuff? I think that he does when Getzloff or any of the other assistants are out, but the assistants are Silverberg and Manson right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and let's see. Austin Price asked us, uh, what's the percentage chance any of the youngsters get a can- uh, get a chance with the COVID players out, a.k.a. Tracy and Perot? I feel like Gru is ahead of those guys. So this is an interesting question because earlier today I was asked this and I kind of had the opinion of, I think Gru's the most likely. And I don't really think Tracy or Perot will get a look because they weren't called up when there were three guys out earlier. It was Kindop that was on the, the taxi squad and, and all the other guys that they kind of brought up in that mix. Um, and I think that probably the reason why they weren't called up to the taxi squad in that moment was they potentially had COVID not wanting to speculate too much, but if the entire goals roster had COVID and they're now just starting to come out of it, I would assume that probably is a big reason why. Um, and so, um, hopefully they're out of it and maybe that gives them a chance to get called up. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing that we got to keep in mind again, like, if we're looking at just not because we're wishing this, but just looking at the trajectory, feels very unlikely that the Ducks won't have more positives. Like so, they're, they're going to have to go deeper into the into the bullpen here. 
And so that's maybe where you see Perot and Tracy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what we've seen with other so, teams. So here's the, the actual, this is where the information came from, from Eric Stevens. Told the AHL San Diego goals are looking much better and could resume play Wednesday at Henderson after dealing with significant COVID-19 issues. Team isn't disclosing how many uh, were affected, but goals have them. been, goals have been practicing again of late. Ducks have moved six players off taxi squad to San Diego. Larson, Patteron, uh, Letary, O'Regan, Dostal, and Robinson. So the entire taxi squad, because that's how many players you can have on the taxi squad, is six. So the Ducks moved all of them to the goals. I mean, it's convenient now. Everybody's gotten COVID, so don't need to worry about that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... I'm curious to see how this plays out and if now there's a chance to for the Ducks to be able to call these guys up. I mean, I think that for some, like nobody wants the Ducks to get COVID. Like nobody wants any of this. But there's definitely a portion of the fan base, the team tank portion of the fan base that isn't crying right now that this that the Ducks may lose a few games. I mean, this is not going to impact them in the standings enough to make them in the, the tank category. Look, don't underestimate how far this can go is all I'll say. This team is making the playoffs. So here's something that I found kind of interesting. So the Ducks before, actually, let me pull it up. Yeah. So before the Colorado game, they were at 65% chance to make it. Um, <laughs> they've actually got, they've, they've gone up since the Colorado game. Because, you, you know, there was that one guy on Twitter who was saying that the, the championship or the, not the championship, the playoffs <laughs> are out of the question. You can't, you can't make the playoffs losing these kind of games their playoff odds have actually gone up since that time. Well, and I'm just going to come out and say 82% good teams still lose these games. Yeah. I, I just think that, uh, like, especially not, not the, the, the Vegas game, the Vancouver game. Those were bad. The uh Colorado game is a different story to me. And that's a game that still good teams will lose. I mean, here's the thing. Good, like good teams still lose games. Like it still happens. Um, yeah. And again, like the the last, the, just all the roster of people, it has to be noted, particularly for the Colorado game. So here's a question on the tanking situation from SB Bruin. Been thinking a lot about the tank situation. While I've been enjoying the winning, I couldn't help but wonder if the last two games weren't that bad for us. My question slash concern is that if we keep winning, do we still move the guys that we have to move? Yeah, I still think it happens. I think Jeff Solomon, uh, I, I think the whole organization still seems to be on the same page. It would be really nice to get like some kind of interview with Solomon uh, from any media so- like outlet and just oh, kind of get, oh, I thought get you were talking talk. about for us on this podcast. Well, yeah, he's welcome more than welcome on if you're listening, Jeff, but uh, it would be interesting to know what their kind of, what their thoughts are right now, what their mental state is about this team, but they've been steadfast with sticking to the plan. I still think the guys that have to get moved will get moved. Again, we've, we've said it over and over, but I think now it's maybe just the return will be slightly different. But the reality of the contracts, the reality of the fact that these guys could walk for nothing, that's still going to be the thing driving the decision-making, even on a good team. I mean, how good would the Ducks have to be were to to where you can justify just keeping these guys and risking letting them walk? Like You'd have to be a cup favorite, right? Or a cup contender. Like a surefire cup contender. To yeah, 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 yeah. Where like the margins are what's going to decide how far you can go. The ducks are nowhere near that with all due respect. Yep. And so I think that that's why they still make that easy call. Like ultimately this is an easy call. Yep. And I want to say this for kind of my opinion on the ducks being locked to make the playoffs. It's not necessarily the points. I don't really look at 
the standings that much. I don't necessarily, I didn't care when they were in first. It's more so the way that they've been playing and the way they've been picking up points and the way they've been uh, winning games. It's yeah. a way that has looked sustainable to me in a way that I think this team is a playoff team as a result of that. Yeah. So that that's where that's coming from. So I, I think from that perspective of some people will say, well, they have so many other teams have games in hand. And while, yes, that is true. I think that if the Ducks continue to play the way they did prior to the break and can pick up points in that same fashion, I think they're going to be in good shape to still make the playoffs. And to me are still a lock. Yeah. No, I, 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 that's the thing is that it's not just the standings. Like don't be a prisoner of the standings. Look at the underlying numbers and that will lead you uh, to the correct, or at least the more correct conclusion. I have a question though, Jake. Um, okay. And you know, this was, this was something that was raised the other day, but I want to ask it again. Um, at what point are we allowed to discuss the Kraken's seemingly overvaluing analytics, thereby resulting in their bungling of the expansion draft? Or maybe their analytics team just isn't very good. Your thoughts on that. By the way, in case you didn't get it, that was a uh, Kevin Kerr's tweet from over the weekend, uh, which got appropriately dunked on. <laughs> I mean, how dense do you have to be? How dense do you have to be to, to conjure up that, that thought and then to put it out there into the world via Twitter? I, I Yeah, I, I don't know. What's... Again, I ask you, at what point can we point out that the Kraken overvalued analytics and that is why they are bad right now? It's the analytics fault. That must be the reason, right? Oh, I love it. Wow. Just, just so stupid. Wow. Cancel that, this man. That is, that is a bad one. <laughs> I, I did not know where that was going. So, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, bad, bad. It's like, why is it that any time a team has any kind of public, uh, you know, any public support for analytics, any admission that, yes, this is something we're looking at, that when they fail, it's because of analytics. Like, we don't say this about other teams when they lose, and we don't say, oh, well, look, look, at, look at scouting failing once again. We don't say anything like that, right? Yeah. So, anyway... And again, are we even sure that the Kraken even listened to their analytics staff? I mean, look at the choices that they made. Yeah, the like, decisions like no, they made in the expansion draft were not analytics and, analytically and, driven. Unless their internal numbers are so drastically different from what's available publicly, I would venture to guess that I think Ron Francis just hang up and listened to his to his analytics uh, staff. So yeah. Ooh, here's yeah. an interesting question from Austin price is Vegas. The favorite in the West, considering they still have so many injured players that will return soon. Well, including one Jack Eichel. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's kind of the silver bullet for them. Like Jack Eichel is a top 10. Like here's the thing with Eichel. Oh, is sh that shout out to Brian Hayward, by the way, for referring to Eichel as a top five center. Oh, yeah. Also, I'm just going to give a shout out to the ducks broadcast crew. They mentioned zone exits on the broadcast. Zone yeah. exit percentage. Here's here's a long-term goal for this podcast. We need Brian Hayward on the show. We need Brian Hayward. We need Gia Bear, John Allers. We need them all. And, and we can have a discussion about face-offs and plus-minus. <laughs> How fun would that be? That would actually be very entertaining, uh, but also probably very frustrating at the same time. I, I like our chances of that happening better now than I did at the start of the season for a reason that I'll let everybody just get to on their own. There you one go. one Bob Murray being gone. <laughs> I'll let everyone get to on their own, but then I'll just <laughs> look. I, I I think we're at the point now where we can kind of say it, but Bob Murray was the reason for a lot of bad things and suboptimal things with this organization that went beyond just the on ice product. Uh, leaving it at that. 
Yeah, uh, our good friend, uh, oh, uh, SJ Hawking said, can we add Josh Brewster to that? Sure. The more the merrier. Well, I've already been told that Josh Brewster reads off my tweets word for word and on his show. So Does he really? I, that's, what's, that's what listeners of our show, that's what Bonnie has told me. Um, can, can somebody please confirm that? I mean, this is, again, this is just what Bonnie has told me. I, I can't, I have not actually confirmed that, but I'm just putting it out there stirring the pot as i tend to do i i would be so down to do like a ducks round table yeah just get every media you know member we, we can get i think like six or seven people in Streamyard. <laughs> now the wheels are turning in, in jake's mind this this is what happens you put one little like iota i have an idea in my head and the wheels get going for how to make it happen honestly i just want elliot tford on here that's what <laughs> i really want just to hear a too many homies reference <laughs> Um, yeah, let's get Tford, Stevens, Brewster, I mean, Hardcore Lucia, our Hayward. good friend Sean might try to set it up now that we've, we've put it into existence. I think 2022 is the year that we shoot our shot. Okay. That's, this is the year. Okay. This is, this is the year. Okay. New year, uh, new ho- us. Hockey. Oh, wait, here's a fun one. Uh, oh, uh, SJ Hawkins say only reason to listen to Brewster is that Crash the Pond is not on after games anymore. Okay. Uh oh, do I get myself in trouble here? Yes, I do. Um, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna jump in before you do that. Uh, we should have mentioned when asked about young players the Ducks should target. Uh, Will McDavid finally request a trade? There we go. Young player the Ducks should target. You You may have just saved me from saying something I probably shouldn't say. Yep. There so, you go. Thank you. Thank you for uh-huh. that. Um, what was was there a question in there? Uh, Hockey Boy said, "Will McDavid finally request a trade?" And I use that to transition to the fact that why didn't we mention McDavid when we were saying a young player the Ducks should target? I don't know why, but I thought he said, "Will LeBron finally cross the trade?" Which has nothing to do with this conversation whatsoever. Um, uh, hardcore Luchador saying, "Hashtag Troy Terry is very good." I'm I think, think on that note, it's time to end. I'm trying the to show. think who else we could get on. It's it's time to end the show before you bury yourself. Dallas Akins. If we got Dallas Akins on here, my life would be complete. That would that would be the most fascinating podcast we do, for sure. Lewis X two hundred nine, just ending this on a high. <laughs> oh, that's that's an easy one. What I mean, restaurant do you refuse to go to? I mean, I don't even know if this qualifies as a restaurant, but I will not set foot in a Jack in the Box. It is vile. It is oh, subhuman. It is I will. Not worthy I will of my frequent many a Jack in the Box. Disgusting. Also, Jack in the Box might pay my bills now. Oh. Care to care to elaborate on that ever so slightly, or are you just no. gonna drop that bomb and, and leave it leave it just, ticking in the room? Just leave it. Okay, leave it. Um, yeah, Jack in the Box is not a restaurant, so I guess my answer doesn't fully qualify. But I'm I'm leaving it at that. I would have gone with let's go with Sizzler. Hmm. No actual reason for it. You know, I am close to being at that point with Denny's. Denny's is trash. Denny's oh. is trash. You had a good opinion on Discord, actually. Yeah, Norm's greater than this, uh, gr- greater than Denny's. You know why I said that, by the way? You want to know why I said that? Because, and I'm just answering my own questions now. I was. It took me four days to remember the name Norm's. Like I kept thinking, oh, what is that one place that I really like? And I was tempted so many times to look it up and just get the easy answer. But you know what? I worked my mind, worked my memory worked my power for call and I got there and I'm so proud of myself. And so yes, norms is better than Denny's test yourselves in 2022. 
Don't don't look things see, up in see, 2022. See, seeing as we, we've hit this point of the podcast, Wrestle Kingdom uh, 16 is tonight. Okay. Tokyo Dome, night one of the, the show. Night two is tomorrow. It's going to be a great show. Ooh. It's going to be fantastic. This is another uh, name that's come up to mind. I think Wiener Schnitzel is also in this category that I just wouldn't go anymore. I haven't had it in a long, long time, but I used to love it. Yeah, like it sounds good in theory. Their mini corn, do- their corn dogs are delicious. Of course, you would get a corn dog at a at a literal hot dog place. Like that just says everything I need to know. Why their corn dogs are delicious? Have yeah, you ever had their mini corn dogs? No, of course not. <laughs> you know it's funny. I really want In and Out. I don't know. I haven't had in over a month. <laughs> what? What's? What's funny? I want to get something that I always say I want to get. Well, I haven't had it since the month of November. Like, like we are talking months now. Plural. <laughs> Plural. Um, that broke me. I'm just going to say it, though, that uh, <laughs> this comment from Sean, he's saying that I am an octogenarian that nibbles at norms through dentures. I will say that is typically the kind of people that, <laughs> that is the type of people at norms but you know what there's a there's a reason they've made it to that age and it's because of norms what is a grand slam which i think it's just some denny's trash it has does, to be right does it have eggs in it my local ihop yes it club, does i'm out <laughs> yeah that's that's a bankrupt take um <laughs> it just is like eggs are essential i can't imagine my life without eggs actually well, that's the life I live. Yeah, you live an eggless, an eggless life, and that is not a a life. Uh, me and Lou, me live. and Lou. You know, all due respect, all love, all. Oh boy, all... Lou, Lou, tighten your seatbelt. <laughs> all appropriate, uh, all appropriate measures here, but you don't want to be on Team Lewis with any food take. I'm sorry, like you don't. <laughs> these are things, by the way. These are all very inside jokes. Sorry, everyone, not in yeah. Discord. Join the Discord. Yeah, but you know, you, you can still laugh because it makes no sense, even if you understand them. Um, Lou, okay. Lewis, just for everyone's sake, throw some, uh, throw some of your takes in in the Twitch stream as we end this thing out. All that I care about at this point in the sports world is that Jimmy Garoppolo stays hurt, so I can get more Trey Lance. Uh, I'm, I'm, Austin, Austin, I'm, I'm, I'm wishing this man ill injury luck. Austin Price asks, how can we didn't join the Discord? Go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Crash Pond for a dollar. Lewis, give us a bad food take. Uh, are we waiting on a bad food take? Oh, you can that? start wrapping it up and I'll read it as it comes in. Okay, well, I don't want to be inter- interrupted by you because that... Well, it's, it always happens, so get used an, to it. I, I am used to it. What You said year six. Um, <laughs> I am used to it. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, well let's let's start wrapping this thing up. So, if you've enjoyed what was today's episode, if you have been enjoying what we do here at Crash the Pond, there's a few ways that you can support us. A few ways that you can help us keep the show going. Because ultimately, like Jake said, it's year six. We want to get to. We want. What are we shooting for? Double digits? Like, Who knows? What's, what's the goal? Is there a goal? I don't know. We don't. There is no that. goal. We don't, we don't need to get into that. Um, but a very, I mean, probably the best way and the way that you will get the most benefit out of is to check out our Patreon page. So at patreon.com slash crash the pond, if you make a dollar pledge a month, $1 a month, you get access to our patrons only discord. 
server, which is so much fun. It's my favorite online community. It's just a bunch. I mean, it's really just a bunch of hardcore Ducks fans, hardcore hockey fans that get together to talk about the team. But we have different channels within Discord. Discord, by the way, is just a very great product. I will say that. Um, so we'll we'll have our we have our food channel where you get to see some of the worst food takes you'll ever see, as well as some good ones. And now people have started to take pictures of their home cooking over the holidays, uh, which I've really enjoyed seeing. I know Ferda Ducks. He put in his uh, his Ferda Ducks. Ferda Ducks, I think, is like living my best life. <laughs> He's living a mid modern century house. It looks yeah. fantastic. Yeah, he, his office is exactly what I want. Like he, yeah. he's just living my best life, and I yeah. love him for it. And you know, but but Bonnie as well put in a pretty good uh, bread picture. So shout out to everybody in there. Um, but yeah, so basically, it's just a place where you can talk about the Ducks uh, openly. You know, it's it's not like Twitter or any of the other toxic social media places uh ducks nation on facebook being another one of them it's just a place where you can talk freely you can exchange ideas you can have a lot of fun have a lot of laughs and that's what it's all about and that is for one freaking dollar a month it is so absolutely worth it uh your ducks experience will get better if you do that now for five dollars a month you still get access to the discord but you also get access to two bonus episodes a month so on those shows, we dive deeper even into the duck. So on on the regular show, we're definitely at the mercy of the latest run of news. We're talking about the latest happenings with the team. But on the bonus episodes, we can go more into different rankings. Uh, for example, you know, we'll do more like report card type episodes there, ranking every player from the season. We'll go league wide, uh, picking our awards winners, Vezina, Hart. You get the idea. Um We'll also go completely off script. And uh, I think that with the book of Boba Fett being out, we have some new subject material to get into, which you and I seem to, to disagree on, by the way. I don't think we disagree that, that much. That first think... episode wasn't good. Okay, we'll I'll get just, into I'll just later. leave it at that. But so go check out patreon.com slash crash the pond. Uh, if you're a hardcore Ducks fan in 2022, I think you owe it to yourself to at least join the Discord. Now, if you don't want to make a monthly pledge, that's totally understandable. No hard feelings. I get it. Times are tough. You can still leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave us a review in particular, we will read it on the show. We've had some hilarious ones in the past. The more inside jokes you can work in, the more references you can work in, the better. Uh, those really mean a lot. And they actually also help the show grow in a way that has shown itself to be really sustainable. Now, if you don't have any of that, you can still check us out on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, that is where Jake will upload the video version of the show, the Twitch stream. So you can see all the fancy charts. You can see, you can see Jake's cat. Uh, you can see it all. Uh, and that's at youtube.com slash crash the pond. Make sure you subscribe and also turn on your notifications so that you know when our shows are going up. Outside of that, make sure to check out our website, crashthepond.com. We've got articles going up there. You can also go to crashthepond.com slash shop. So if you have a Ducks fan in your life and maybe you forgot to buy them something for Christmas, who knows? I don't know. You can get them one of our beautiful hoodies or t-shirts with our great crest. Uh, I highly recommend you check that out. Uh, so here's Lou's bad food take that he's saying in there. Uh, rice sucks. That's a shitty take. <laughs> rice is amazing, especially white rice. Brown rice is fine too. 
But white, white, white rice is like a staple of my diet. These are the types of takes that you'll get by joining our Discord just from Lou. Uh, Lou but and just the, so you know, these bad takes are hounded on once they get put out. Like, it's like, it's very entertaining. He's not allowed. Like He can't just get away with that, as is my favorite gift that Lewis uses <laughs> from Breaking Bad, that he can't just keep getting away with this uh, Pinkman gif. It's <laughs> such an all-timer, and he doesn't. We We keep him in check. As we have to, uh, because he's a menace with those takes. Rice is great. Eggs are great. Anyone thinks otherwise just is out to lunch. Okay. You can find us on social media at Crash the Pond on Twitter. Search Crash the Pond on Facebook. Jake is on Twitter at Reindeer Games 91. And I am on, and yes, by the way, that is still his handle. And we are into year six, still the handle. Um, why, would, then, why would I change it? I am on, I am on Twitter at why would I change underscore Sigard. And that will do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye!